This is a Lip Media Podcast. Hi everyone. My intro today is recorded on my little white Apple earphones. So it's going to sound quite different to our regular style, but that's ISO for you. I have another exciting announcement to make, which is that Heckin Concerned has joined Lip Media, which is a network of podcasts by women and members of LGBTQIA plus communities. This is exciting. These are the kinds of people that I love to hang out with, and I am in very esteemed company. All the Lip Media shows are amazing, but the three that I'm binging right now are The Nasty Woman Club, The Gays Are Revolting, and Deviant Women. I highly recommend you give these a listen. Okay, so on to today's episode. Today I'm talking to Tazeen Khan, who is a cybersecurity expert from America. Tazeen is also an activist, a human rights activist, a feminist, and she's been sharing really great ideas about the intersection of technology and race and how racism might be perpetuated through social media and our internet. In this episode, we're talking about so many amazing things. We're talking about cultural identity. We're talking about cybersecurity and why it's a concern for ordinary folk like us. We also talk about Tazine's mini war on TikTok. Tazine's been trying to educate us about some of TikTok's more problematic policies. A couple of things to note are that some of the content of today's episode is quite US-centric because that's where Tazine is. But I'm sure we can find analogues to that in Australia or any other country. This episode was also recorded maybe a month ago. So to our regular you know, the world style, has changed a little that's bit ISO since for then. You. And some of it might I have sound another extreme, exciting but announcement bear in to mind, make, which is that just this week we found out that Trump a network sent secret police to Portland, which Oregon, is a network of protesters. podcasts by women okay. and members we are living of in a LGBTQIA pandemic. Plus this is like stranger than this fiction. Is Life is bizarre right now, and so none of the things that we talk about are logically beyond the realm of possibility. Um, we did the interview on Skype because obviously I couldn't fly to New York to interview Tazine. So there's a lot of mic rustling and lots of clicks and it sounds kind of, you know, long distancey. So please bear with me and I'm trying to work on improving the quality of these long distance ISO conversations. Enjoy! This podcast is recorded on Wurundjeri land. This is Amrita and you're listening to Heckin' Concerned Podcast. Heck, heck, heck. You're like an internet celebrity. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Am I? What? <laughs> yeah, you are. It's like I've been, you know, I've just been watching your videos for a long time. And then just leading up to our interview, I was going back and watching them all again. So you've been like on my eyeballs. And now you're like there talking to me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you. It's still so kind of surreal, I guess, you know, and for you to even use those words as internet celebrities. <laughs> For me, I've just been, I, it's just, I just feel like I'm, it's like my digital diary almost Instagram where I've just been posting and I never, I truly never intended for it to get so much visibility, if that makes sense, right? Until now, all of a sudden, I just looked this morning, I was like, I can't believe I'm at 
7,000 followers. Not that any of that shit matters to me. Like, honestly, I truly, stuff like that does not bother me at all. Um, But I, or not bother me, but entice me, Mm. rather. Um, And it was just, it's weird to know that you have so many people listening to you, I guess, you know, and like hearing you, which is an interesting I guess. But anyway, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it. And thanks for taking the time to watch all my videos and and give me the opportunity to talk to you and get to know you. Oh, thank you. Um, I have uh, learned a lot. So um, started making more complex passwords that are random. Good. Um, downloaded Keeper, uninstalled TikTok. So <laughs> I've just been doing all these things that you've been saying. Good, good. That's so awesome. <laughs> but I was also thinking, just as I said, that internet celebrity is probably quite antith- antithetical to the the kind of things that you um, put out on the internet. I mean, you're talking about um, transparency and um, identifying ways in which privilege or power is misused on the internet. And then, well, that's the whole thing of an internet celebrity, right? There's a whole, um, there's not a lot of transparency. What you see isn't really what somebody's life could be. So in a way, I guess I'm sorry for calling you an internet celebrity. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally okay. Don't, don't sweat it at all whatsoever. I get what you mean, but I also appreciate you saying this because (laughs) it's uh, Definitely, it's interesting to be a content creator, Mm. I guess, that I do now partially, but in addition to being in security, because a lot of times the security side of my life, it's so elitist and so proper and so um, white (laughs) that they really have a hard time with this side of me. A lot of, I don't talk about the fact that I do content creation with any of my cybersecurity peers at all whatsoever, because I feel like there is an automatic, um, like, oh, you're an influencer. Like there's a negative connotation within the academic world around influencers. Um, And so um, it's interesting being literally in the middle. And I talk about bicultural identity so often. So it's really interesting that now it's, not a bicultural identity, but like a bi-digital identity almost. Yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> yeah. analogy. And well, cultural also in the sense that you've got that boys club, white boys club culture in tech, uh, in cybersecurity. And then you've got this other online culture that you are trying to build. So in a sense that bi-digital maps onto this other type of culture as well. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about your your podcast a little bit more and then you can do your intro and we can jump in. Yeah. All right. Um, So Heckin' Concerned, um, as I said, is a podcast about things that scare millennials. And I started it last year because I was having a lot of depression and sleepless nights Mm -hmm. thinking about climate change or uh, feeling helpless about politics and politicians. And I thought, okay, all of us are feeling this and I think I need to talk to people and get ideas of how people are coping emotionally or what what work are they doing that might help us get a sense of hope. Because without hope, it's, I mean, we're nothing without hope. Yeah, absolutely. And 
continue to be curious and ask questions because, you know, I feel like the world needs people like us to be, to feel, to get depressed. I was shit on my whole life for like being the sensitive one and the over emotional one. And uh, that's my fucking superpower. Yeah. You know? Wow. And, and I'm now, so happy to hear you say that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and, and it leads us to, you know, do this. Yeah. Yeah. Emotion is driving everything that's happening in the world right now. Like what's happening in the U S uh, for example, that's anger and, and just, you know, that's rage coming out of people. 100%. 100%. Do you find that in your um, sort of tech bros circle, you're unusual for like more than one reason? Like you're obviously <laughs> a woman, a woman of color uh, and a person who embraces emotions? I, um, yes, I laughed at your question, not at the question, but because it's just, it's something I think about every day and I write about so often because 100%, I feel like in every aspect of my life, not just tech, but in the Bengali community, with my husband's family, with my friend circle, with um, my work, I've kind of always been an anomaly and in the security industry especially and that is what 100% motivated me to create a space for other security professionals that feel like me that kind of don't fit in because you're constantly code switching I can't be myself um which now I am because fuck whoever doesn't accept me for the way that I am and no amount of money is enough for me to compromise my authenticity. Um, but it took me being in a job that really pushed that for four years to finally realize that, no, I'm not going to take this because I can do it on my own and I can figure it out. And I think being in sales and business development really helped me get that because I knew what I was capable of and I knew what I could bring to the table, regardless of what they thought of me. Um, and I was the only person of color in a team of like 45 people. And in a company of 400 people, there are probably five people of color. Wow. Total. So you don't, you're not asking permission anymore to take up public's like, eyeballs to take up space on the internet to take up a space for yourself in the Bengali community in what is you know this model minority culture that is there among South Asian um, diasporas it's for example I was watching your video where you were so impassioned and so angry about how the Blackout Tuesday Instagram mm. Um, kind of campaign that was organized unofficially then became a tool to actually squash people's voices. And in that, you were talking about your family's fight with um, the Bangladeshi freedom movement. Your, I mean, your family's participation, your dad was, was a freedom fighter. And you said that you don't care if there's a danger to your personal well-being, but you will fight for other people's rights to have their freedoms. I was amazed at uh, the um, 
the chutzpah of a brown woman to go on the internet, somebody who, it's so easy for somebody, a white person to point at you and say, go back where you came from. And for you to say, no, fuck you. I'm here. This is my country too. I deserve to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's not seen very often. It's not seen very often among women in general, let alone women of color. And it's crazy that you say that because my circle of people are only full of people like that. I don't have anyone in my life that wouldn't sacrifice themselves for a cause. Alhamdulillah for the people in my life that, you know, that the universe has put in front of me, my family members, my brother. And how could I not be that way with the influence of my Baba being a freedom fighter? And then on top of that, my brother, who really paved the way for me, I would say he is a rapper and he has a billboard, had a billboard on Times Square with him in chapels wearing like a velour sweatsuit, you know, like taking it to the 90s, juicy couture style with a huge sign in the middle of Times Square that says, damn, it feels good to be an immigrant. Streets away, blocks away from where my dad was smacked and spit on and told to go back to his country. You know, when you have those experiences, like what what else is going? And then when you also don't fear death, it's like, what's going to happen? Like, I'm going to get fired from this job. If I talk about Black Lives Matter, I fucking dare you. <laughs> I, you know, that that's how I feel. But that's also my privilege of being a model minority, well-spoken, um, pretty. I'm not trying to sound like narcissistic or anything like that. But that is a fucking privilege. Like when you are conventionally uh, attractive, woman, yeah, people listen to you, which is so fucked up. But, you know, with this whole thing around the liberation and what my dad taught me and what's happening here, I I think that there are people that are meant to be kind of commanders in a war and there are people that are willing to sacrifice and be on the front lines. And then they're willing, there are people that follow and they do the work that they need to do. And even when I was talking to Baba, he was like, don't go protest. And I said, why? He said, because one, are you prepared to be arrested and tortured physically? Are you prepared? Are you in the right state of mind? Is your body prepared? Have you been eating healthy? Are you training for combat? Because why are you looking at this protest as anything other than fucking combat? You are going into a protest against police brutality and not expecting police to brutalize you? Like that's fucking stupid. And they're so like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. And when I was talking to my dad and I was so enraged and everything, he's like, why? He's like, this is politics. And his accent is so I'm so I'm literally the best impersonator of my father. Baby, this is the politics. This is the way that the world turns. And you must fight for the liberation. You must fight. That's exactly how he sounds. Oh, my God. That's (laughs) such a good Bengali accent. Okay. That's my baba. Yeah, I'm. I'm his little carbon copy and I'm the one probably in the family that has most of his personality as it relates to activism and politics and policy and stuff. Um, But yeah, I I could go on about that for days because I don't think people are really 
looking at the long term and there are people that fight battles and there are people that fight wars and I'm here to fight a war, which is a consistent set of battles that will continue to happen. And that goes into, you know, the whole element around TikTok and how people are leveraging TikTok today and using it. And the way that it was set up was for the mass manipulation, the psychological warfare that's leveraged against people. And we just fall for it. And we allow these things, we allow ourselves to be commoditized and enamored by these things, not realizing the actual detriment. It's just, even though there are positive things and educational videos that are happening on TikTok and whatnot, what people I think are failing to understand is how will TikTok be used against us later? What are they doing with this data? What does this mean? And who are they targeting? They're targeting who are the best content creators? Kids, teenagers. Kids, teenagers, black and brown people. What's the entertainment industry look like? Exactly. Half of the memes, half of all of those sound clips, everything comes from black people, black music, black, black culture, culture is 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 so appropriated and, and co-opted in anything to make it, you know, to make it entertaining, make it funny, make it whatever. Entertainment is built on black culture. Literally. Well, absolutely. In the US, it is music and the arts because, you know, those were the earliest entertainers. Well, so in, the, in your war against tech autocracy, uh, you know, so, like the social media giants and the ways in which the, the people's, people's lives are now just like data assets, numbers for them to use. Mm-hmm. Here you are, you've started um, Cyber Collective org to educate people about the true things behind security and and show people that this is for all of them not just for businesses would you agree with this that i don't think the world has realized just how much um cybersecurity matters to individuals mm, yeah 100 1000 percent and there are two separate conversations that are happening simultaneously and the element of security and privacy completely unrelated almost, as related as they seem. Um, They're congruent topics, but they are not the same. You can be an extremely secure organization, or individual, have an extremely secure environment, but not have any privacy implemented into your organization, which is a layer of privacy, or not be a private person, which is another layer of privacy. Um, Or you can be extremely private, be off the grid, not have any kind of any presence online, um, which makes you extremely private. But if you are unprotected on your phone and you still leverage your phone to make transactions, you're still shopping at Target, Home Depot, whatever, the different um, large companies, if you don't have certain security on your phone and those organizations are breached, then in turn you are also breached and you lack security actually on your devices. Um, So at the individual level, I think it's important to share the differences between privacy and security and how it relates to data aggregation, our digital rights or lack thereof. And how this is being weaponized against us. And then the whole element of cybersecurity is, okay, if you are a little bit more secure within your digital presence, then you can keep yourself from getting hacked by 
threat actors that aren't necessarily the government trying to get your information, right? So, you know, certain threats that are against individuals, it's because people are online trying to implement ransomware or, you know, hold your social media stuff hostage because that is an asset to so many people and influencers. And it's if somebody takes over their social media account and says, I'm going to delete all of your work, pay me, which comes up all the time they were breached because of their lack of security probably and they were able to be breached even easier because of their lack of privacy which that's how privacy has to do with security um on the individual level in many ways and even with the security industry it's like why why is the consumer awareness an afterthought like why are you securing infrastructure before you are teaching people how to be secure because people, the people are handling your infrastructure, the people are handling your devices. And that's because most security companies aren't giving awareness because they want people to keep doing the dumb shit so that organizations get breached so that they can sell their billion dollar products. <laughs> I mean, the when I was in sales, I sold millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of technology product. And I was incentivized to sell that product. And I found gaps within organizations and we fix those gaps with product instead of fixing those gaps with education. But that's the crutch of the American fucking system at large. <laughs> you know, we it's America. America is about patching performative action and um, not inherent education. And so it's just like continuing to build off of this negative, not negative, but like this, the fundamental of what I would say, like unethical behavior. Mm. Other companies and security companies and different industries, they thrive off of that, you know? Um, and so the security industry, that was another reason why I started Cyber Collective was because it's like, what the fuck? Like we have so much money to spend on CISOs. Like we, I literally bribed chief information security officers to buy my product by inviting them to events where they would get like free Nike shoes and free custom made suits and whiskey events and front row tickets to football games. I mean, I was living the life for a minute with all of my schmoozing with clients and stuff, but it was lonely because there was nobody like me. Nobody actually, I'm like, wow, I actually care about security and helping you, but you don't mm. care about what you do with security. You're just doing like, it's a job to you. Um, and that's how cyber collective was born was because there are just so many gaps and there's this money in this industry and I want to redirect it in a way and also allow it to help people. And then if I'm going to, hold these security organizations accountable like okay i'm educating people so you guys are saying you want to defend and protect so do it you know defend and protect it as we educate people um so there are just there are so many layers layers to it and i think that i said in my last video like people need to smoke more weed and watch sci-fi because when you watch sci-fi i don't know if you've seen westworld yes the latest season around AI and and the control that 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 machine had, and then also another show which is crazy, Altered Carbon. It's on Netflix. Um, it's a show that really, like, consider TikTok, consider data, watch the show, come back. Let's do this again. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because 
because yeah well you know there's like this vague fear about the government has our data uh, and that's the message that's being peddled by news or by consumer affairs groups or whatever even around this covid app the people are worried that the government has their data but there's no really concrete um idea about what the actual danger of the government having your data might be um even for me i didn't actually realize it until i watched the great hack on netflix mm-hmm. and i didn't realize how that whole cambridge analytica stuff that affected the way democracy was conducted then i was like oh shit people have our data people know what we're doing people know what we're typing or where we are that's actually profound and it's not just some random fear that somebody knows where you went yesterday or somebody knows where you live but it's it you could be brainwashed because of somebody having your data we are it's not we could be well, we yeah, are we are exactly you you could be blocked from accessing information because somebody has your data what's to say that racist government policies mightn't affect emergency communication that is sent out to certain populations or whatever so it's suddenly dawned on me and i think a lot of people after the cambridge analytica think that this is serious and this is the reason why it's serious because we're in a new information age where our currency is or our lives are so shared in you know like so much more information packets everywhere about everyone um that it could actually affect the way in which we move through the world. Yeah, this is like some matrix shit L- straight up and it's been happening for so long. And and think about that it's like okay, the government can censor so much stuff, but child pornography exists. And child pornography by numbers is mostly watched and the offenders of child abuse are white males. We have facial recognition data that allows literally pictures our face to be able to uh, or a picture to be taken of our face and recognize every single thing that we've ever put on the internet but we can't get child pornography off of the internet bullshit. Yeah. We are so digitized. We are literally in the we're in a digital revolution. We are so capable. There are drones, there are satellites, so much technology exists for the benefit of us convenient technology but we still have to go to a voting booth to give our ballots that don't reach us that are right now in America being shut down like there's literally voting tampering happening today and then the reason that there's so much divide in America is because of the control of our digital real estate and these algorithmic echo chambers of course white people don't understand what's happening to black people and what's happening to marginalized communities their digital real estate is not set up for them to receive that information this whole campaign the the stop hate campaign is happening on facebook right now where um there are big companies like patagonia recently pulled all their ads from facebook and instagram until facebook starts doing the right thing which is stopping this fake information from circulating but facebook like we know cambridge analytica and the great hack and how how it's all related so 
And that's where all of this divide is coming from. Because when you talk to people, when you actually talk to people and they talk to you, they do understand. And there's a level of empathy that can happen. But we're so full of this information that is fueling our divide and anger that is being manipulated by the people that want us to stay separate, Mm. that want us to stay divided. Um, And so the mass manipulation of our data is crazy. And and the thing about going back to TikTok, I I don't know how, how this information is going to be leveraged. I just know that the amount of information that they are gathering is scary, right? And right now, the amount of information that was gathered and and what these data aggregation organizations have been able to do, like the 2016 election, I can only imagine what they're going to be able to do with the exact measurements of our bodies, with the exact time it takes for our facial expressions to move, how our how the our entire being and what we're doing is being recorded and saved, and imagine how it can be used against us. And there's something called deep fake technology, yeah. which I'm going to do a video about soon. And deep fake technology is if you consider how so they set it up great. They set up the internet, which was built on racial bias and literally by white people. And if you read Algorithms of Oppression or know of the book, it talks about how our literal search engine system is racist and continues to push a lot of racism and systemic racism within the fundamentals of our internet, the fibers of our internet. And then there's underneath it, the deep fake technology, all of the artificial intelligence that is being built based off of the propaganda and the manipulation, and then the the response to that propaganda and manipulation. And it's just like, a it's, it's this big, is avalanche the right word? Like yeah. domino effect almost, domino effect, right? Yeah. I can't help but like you said, like be depressed and stay up all night thinking about like what is, what's coming. And what are we going to be able to do about it? And uh, I mean, it's insane. I think we live under a false pretext of freedom because we are living our lives and stuff, but we're not free. They, they, uh, social media, they're shackles. Yeah. Media and and news has always been someone's interpretation. History has always been someone's interpretation of events. But when the 24-hour news cycle started, when there was so, there were more bloody news channels than people. Um, And then when social media started integrating news and now all of a sudden your algorithms are just showing you what you're already looking at. So it just keeps reinforcing your own narrow worldview, doesn't, you know, expose you to any other ideas. So I guess what's required for people is to um, understand just how the algorithms of everyday life work, how your TV news and, for example, Rupert Murdoch's um, worldview affects you via Facebook or, you know, like um, this, this ecosystem in which you're being conditioned or groomed to stay and, and think um, and probably make proactive efforts to be aware of their own biases, be aware of their own conditioning and, and step outside of that. So what could they do uh, in a digital space? Like how can people 
become aware of the fact that their version of events and truth is highly, highly colored or highly curated having, you know, constant education, having conversations like this, listening to, because the material and the information exists, right? I mean, you think about like the the whistleblowing culture that is pushed also. Once you know, you just have to look for the information. Once you know that, hey, this message that I'm getting on Instagram or this message I'm getting on Facebook that's related to Trump or, or Hillary, why don't I go do some more digging, right? But we have now, because of the way social media and the way that this information has come to us, even with how the platforms have evolved, that we do not even need to click in order to receive another video. They are slowly, um, what's the word that would be good here, Um, making us inept. They're, They're almost like making us incapable or they're giving so much information that we don't have to do anything to seek anything out anymore so true like we just have to keep staring at the screen and it will scroll automatically on on um, right. an instagram for example one video will finish and then the screen will automatically move up and play you the next thing and if you're vegging out in your bed and staring at screen you have no control over what information is hitting your eyeballs um it's like you're in the stupor or you're kind of transfixed by the screen. I highly recommend you read because you're interested in this. You should read the book Future Crimes by Mark Goodman. Okay. It's so good and it talks about all of this, you know, and I think that that's something we should 100% consider and I guess the one message that I would give and people ask like, "Okay, you're scaring everybody, but what message what are you, what do I do, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, God, you are so used to people telling you exactly what to do, what to click, how to do it, that you don't even understand the concept of fucking research and reading and awareness and questioning things and making inferences. Like we are headline trolls. We need information to be given to us and fed to us, be told exactly what we need to do. And so now people are coming to me like, how do I do this? I'm like, yo, I just told you what it's about. You can literally look it up. You can literally open your phone and try to see. Like, this is a part of the problem that you need specific direction of how to make your own decisions. <laughs> like it's, it's a while to me. And that's what people are like. So what's your purpose? Are you trying to tell people what to do and how to be secure? Like I'm trying to open people's minds to how this is working and why it's important. And it's not my responsibility I can't physically take on that responsibility to give the exact how to of how to how to do certain things. You know, of course, there's a matter of things that people don't know, like how to encrypt your device and and all of those types of tangible how to's and stuff. But as far as like when we have the conversations around privacy and data aggregation and mass manipulation, I don't have a I, I don't have a direct advice of like what you should do. Like my advice is learn. That's my advice to everybody, right? Um, As far as how can I keep myself from getting ads and stuff like that? Sure, you can use a VPN. You can use a private search engine. But even those things are not private and everything's subject to the Patriot Act um, in America, at least. But, you know, my goal from all of this is to ignite curiosity in people. Um, So 
you know, it's always a hard question to ask, like answer, like what, what do we do? But this is it. This is what we need to be doing is questioning everything. And then slowly, like so far after posting my video, I've had 20 people delete their TikTok, which that's, in my opinion, I did my job. The next goal is to develop a set of ethics around this stuff and help different marketers and data aggregators implement tech ethics, um, which is a lot of the work that Cyber Collective is yeah, working to that's do. amazing, yeah. Um, and we're looking for people to join the fight. So anybody that wants to join, it's still something that's under construction and stuff, but, you know. They can go to cybercollective.org? You can go to cybercollective.org, and if you go to the impact tab, you can join Psycho and apply to be a contributor of some sort. Um, right now, we're looking for content developers to basically create a lot of this material of like the how to encrypt your phone, how to stay secure at certain protests and stuff. And um, the thing about all of this is that this information exists on the internet. I'm not providing any new information to anybody, and that's what I try to tell people all the time. I'm like, maybe it's coming new in, in the voice and the way that I'm saying it, which I completely understand, but I'm regurgitating inter like information that has existed for years, right? Mark Goodman wrote this book in the early 2000s. And I tried to tell people like, if I can do it, you can do it. I have people message me like, I'm starting a website and, and I hope you don't think I'm taking your idea, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's not my idea. <laughs> And 100%, that's exactly what you should be doing. If we had more people with internet platforms talking about this, I'm like, that's the best thing that could possibly happen, I think. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Your Instagram handle is Tech with Taz. Yeah, Tech And with that's Taz. where you put a lot of amazing stuff. That's where you put all of your videos and your thoughts and um, really short, like easy things for people to keep in mind and is cybercollective.org can anyone from around the world be a part of the collective anyone from around the world can be a part of the collective if they want to be um i'm focusing specifically on the legislation around privacy in america um but anybody that wants to be a contributor and it you know there's so many different ways that you can contribute and one thing i want to mention right now the site the plan was to release the platform in 2021 fully, but because of what happened with the liberation movement, I found it necessary to have, because I have a voice, right? And people were listening to me. I'm like, okay, where can I direct you? I own this domain. This website exists. Might as well put it on this website. So what you see on the Cyber Collective website is not what it's intended to be right now. But I'm I'm just using that as a as a host right now to place information because people are not everybody's on Instagram or after Instagram. They want more information and digging through the Internet to find how to encrypt certain devices doesn't always come up for everybody's algorithmic bubble or their echo chambers, <laughs> you know? So um, it's important to have it in one place that, that you can go, but eventually there will be a community platform up where you'll see a calendar. You can join various workshops and events and webinars to continuously stay educated and aware. And it is a platform to highlight the voices of other people because there are so many different people in security right now that are doing great work. So Cyber Collective is going to be a voice to not only amplify the voices of people of color that are in security and privacy, but also be a tool and resource to help people that are outside of that industry to navigate this industry because it is quite complex. Hmm. 
I think Cyber Collective and other organizations are the way forward to restore equality or to democracy again. Um, yeah, it's been an absolute eye opener and a pleasure on so many levels to talk to you. You're like this person of so much depth and, and breadth of everything. Thank you so much for making the time to talk with me. I really appreciate oh, thank it. You. Like I'm, it was my my privilege to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you guys hearing me. <laughs> Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. When South Carolina happened, people thought it was like a fluke. That's when I like got to work. I just had a month where nobody was really expecting anything out of the campaign, but I was able to explore what a brand identity would look like for the general election. Exploring websites, exploring brands and gradients, and you know, really finding the voice of the Biden campaign structurally and, and visually. Today, I'm talking to Senior Creative Director of the Biden-Harris Presidential Campaign, Robin Kanner. Robin's personal story is twisty and beautifully American and feels as bright and hopeful as a victory gradient. I'm Amy Devers, and this is Clever. Subscribe to Clever wherever you get your podcasts. A-Cast, 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 A-Cast recommends. recommends.